Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are continuing with our read-through of The Hunger Games, and we are looking at chapters 17 and 18. Chris, could you give us a recap of what happens in these chapters? In the wake of the career camp explosion, Katniss is knocked down, bruised, and deafened. She hides in the nearby cops, seeing the career's return. Kato kill the District 3 boy in anger. She sleeps, then sets off the next day to find Rue. Eventually, Katniss hears Rue screaming, so she runs towards her, only to find that she has been speared by the District 1 boy, who Katniss kills instantly. Seeing that Rue will die, she sings a song to her to ease her passing, and then decorates her body with flowers before she can be taken by a hovercraft, as a way of showing the capital that she and Rue are not just game pieces. She moves on, but shortly receives a gift from District 11. She thanks them and eats the bread before she falls asleep. After awakening, Katniss shows signs of depression, but forces herself to get moving. The game makers make a special announcement. Two tributes from the same district can both win. And hearing this, Katniss cannot stop herself from calling out Peta's name. Peta! Peta! Yeah, j- just like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Brittany, what moment struck you as you were reading through the chapters this time? So, one thing that struck me is when, after Rue has died, Katniss kind of falls into a depression for a brief period of time before she forces herself out, and even the simplest tasks were difficult. Like, she lost the will to do them, and couldn't really do anything but lie there Mm. looking through the canopy of leaves for hours then she thought of prim anxiously watching her Mm. on the screen and then that motivated her to order herself to do simple tasks to get her moving again and yeah it was the first time i was kind of thinking about how Katniss was thinking about prim being anxious about this and it's something that she's seeing Prim be anxious about in the past when her mom was like that, mm-hmm. when she fell into depression, a really, really severe one after their dad died. And so, yeah, she, she just, she knows the look of this kind of depression all too well. And yeah, I, I could imagine that that would make Prim so anxious knowing that for her to survive, she has to do so many things but then with the history of seeing their mom, even if they were all going to die and starve to death, she she couldn't bring herself out of it. And yeah, so I was just thinking about that really motivating Katniss. Mm, yeah. A couple other things that struck me this time reading them that I, I had never thought about before really do come from that book I was mentioning last episode, mm. The Dark Fantastic by Ebony Elizabeth Thomas. So a couple of the points that she had in the book, then when I was reading through this, yeah, definitely hit me in a different way. And one of them was kind of like taking a a little bit of a religious analysis to some of what happens between Rue and Katniss Mm. in these chapters, seeing Rue as this symbol of innocence and being this mocking Jay sacrifice in the narrative. And so Thomas said that her innocent blood is required for the remission of sins that Katniss has committed and will commit Mm. in the name of Penem's revolution. And it's just really interesting because I never would have thought about 
that, uh, even though, you know, I, I grew up very much Protestant. And so kind of seeing that and just finding that an interesting idea, but then looking at kind of the meal that they share together as like almost this very, very small Last Supper sort of hmm. thing, partaking in a meal together as a kind of sacred moment before Rue ends up dying. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just something interesting that, yeah, I don't think ever would have hit me otherwise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. A really compelling read of Rue's death as so poignant and so powerful, which it clearly is to Katniss as well, but is meaningful to the story in a wider sense too. Totally, yeah. Another thing that Thomas had talked about in her book was Rue's final request for a song transferred her embodiment of the Mockingjay to Katniss Hmm. because previously Thomas argues that Rue is the Mockingjay in this story in the 74th Hunger Games but then like she transfers that symbolic embodiment to Katniss in that request which I thought was really interesting. I like that a lot. I definitely was struck this time by the fact that Rue requests the song. She asks Mm -hmm. for it. There's so much going on there, and I didn't really have much that I found interesting or profound to say about it, so I I didn't think about bringing it up, but I like that reading because it does give even more weight to this decision that Rue is making, her her final decision, Mm -hmm. to request this song from Katniss, uh, that she's choosing how she's going to pass to the extent that she can, Mm -hmm. and this is what she chooses. That that choice itself is meaningful to Katniss's journey is, yeah, really, really compelling. And really shows the maturity on Rue's part of not even being that upset about dying, mm. you know? And, and like Katniss was thinking in the book, I'm not going to say that it's okay or everything is going to be fine because it's not and Rue is too smart to believe me you know so she doesn't say that which i appreciate because it always bugs me in mm-hmm. movies and shows and stuff when characters say that i'm like no it's not gonna be okay <laughs> like, um and so i think yeah rue she's not trying to cling to life there she mm. she knows she's not okay with it but yeah like you said she's she's going to make a choice to try to go out in a way that is meaningful to her and in a way that she wants to. Yeah. But those were the things that I was thinking about. What about you? What were striking moments to you? Yeah, that actually brings me to one of mine, which is when Katniss's narration, as Rue requests the song, conflates Rue with Prim, Mm. where the narration itself, not in anything that's spoken in dialogue, but Katniss thinks, if this is Prim's, I mean Rue's, last request, then I'm mm-hmm. going to do it. I think that is very telling in how this is affecting her in a moment of crisis, in a moment of just horrific emotional pain. That even though she has made clear in the past that she sees Prim in Rue, while she's experiencing this, her narration illustrates how her connections between the two are so visceral for her and how losing Rue, even though she only knew Rue or was close to Rue for a day, is so meaningful because 
she thinks and feels things outside of her typical kind of strategic, intellectual way of thinking about stuff. Totally. I mean, and that's the thing, too. She just goes crashing through the bushes or whatever to get to her, even though she knows and she thinks this is probably a trap. Yeah. You know, that wasn't what was guiding those actions. Totally. I also liked how afterwards she thought about how much she wanted to tell PETA about Rue's flowers. Mm. How even... Did I put a tiny little heart next to that in my book? Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, even at a time when she still sees him as enemy in some way. Or enemy question mark? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she still thinks of him not only as someone who she knows would understand the artistry about it, mm -hmm. but he also would understand the weight behind the decision. He's the person she thought of when she thought about wanting to prove that they're not pieces in the games. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're really starting to build in why she is connected to PETA and why when she hears the rule change, she does unconsciously shout out his name because there is that strong connection there. Yeah. The last one I was thinking of was Kato's tantrum. He does have a tantrum, yes. Yeah. But... Reading it this time, I also was kind of struck how, yes, it definitely shows his privilege to a certain extent mm -hmm. and his emotional immaturity, but the emotional immaturity is in part because he's a child, Yeah, because he's not a mature person. And for me, particularly the careers, because they're often talked about as these larger, confident tributes who are, who are intending to be there, I almost cast them in my head sometimes unconsciously as older than they are mm -hmm. and that was a moment that I it was helpful to reframe for myself like oh look he is a child he is acting this way I mean adults can act that way too but the fact that he's acting this way is not him being childish as an adult it's him being childish as a child mm -hmm. totally yeah and it's also interesting it shows that he is breaking down a bit emotionally mm -hmm. psychologically you know, now he's in the games actually killing people, mm -hmm. actually sometimes afraid for his own life. And these are things that he hasn't had to experience before. And it's one thing to imagine doing it. It's one thing to boast about doing it. It's another thing to actually do it, you know? Yeah. Not that the others are good, but even if he volunteered for this, there's nothing... That you can do to really picture what it would be like until you're there you know mm -hmm. so i could see yeah him having his tantrum being a part of him just unraveling yeah well why don't we head into our next section uh where we analyze some of the scenes from perspectives other than katniss's so what i was thinking about was that night after everything has been blown up and Everyone throughout the day waiting tensely to see in the sky who died that day mm. because no one really knows except Katniss what happened. And so I could imagine Thresh and Foxface, they must have been hoping that it was the careers. Yeah. It had to have been. And maybe even Katniss because she got that 11, right? And so... I could just imagine them hoping for that, which is a complete contrast to 
Peta and Rue hearing all of those explosions going off and not knowing what happened, but knowing Rue knowing that there was a booby trap and Peta knowing actually what that booby mm. trap was. And I could just imagine them thinking, please don't let that be Katniss. I could imagine even Rue feeling guilt like maybe I shouldn't have told her about this or maybe she triggered it accidentally and now she's dead you know and so yeah I was just thinking about that and then obviously the careers hoping that whoever set this off if they set it off and it wasn't some malfunction that they died in the process of it so yeah I was just thinking about how the that entire day from when those explosions went off to when projection happened in the sky like everyone being so tense and just hoping for different things Mm -hmm. another one i was thinking about is just what it was like for prim to see her sister kill someone Mm. because what we know about prim thus far is that when katniss tried to teach her how to hunt she would cry over the animals and be like, if we get them back, maybe we can save them, right? She's a pacifist at heart. You know, she doesn't want this violent death of any person or creature. It's sad to her. And so, yeah, I just, I really wonder what it was like for her to watch that and have the conflicting feelings of both being disturbed by it and relieved that Katniss isn't dead you know and then how that would make me as a pacifist if it was my sister you know watching this make you maybe question some of how you feel about things or or what you think is right yeah uh, knowing that if she didn't kill him he would have killed her Mm -hmm. so yeah I was thinking about that a bit yeah especially knowing that Katniss tried to take Prim out hunting and she couldn't even stand that Mm mm-hmm seeing her kill a person, another person, is probably even more affecting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, it, it would have to change a bit how you think and feel about someone. Yeah. Because there is the time where this person was just your sister and had never killed anyone, and then there's the time after. It, it probably forces some amount of adjustment of how you think or feel about someone. Yeah. The last one I was thinking of is kind of around the question of like, was the bread from District 11 Mm -hmm. or did the mentors decide on their own to give that crescent-shaped bread to Katniss? Mm. Because Katniss thinks like, oh, instead of pulling their sponsorship people from District 11, they must have just decided to let it go through anyway. But yeah, I kind of wonder about the mentor's role in that. Imagining, you know, two characters that we meet in the next book, Cedar or Chaff, being one or both of the mentors in this game of Rue, of Thresh, and realizing that this was an opportunity to send a message to all of the districts, showing this unity and solidarity that have really never been seen before in the games. Because Peta had explained the different breads and stuff in his interview, the whole of Penem knows mm-hmm. that this symbol of this bread is not coming from District 12. And so, yeah, I just, I was thinking about that thought process and that decision of 
you know, maybe even the people from District 11 would be annoyed at first. It costs so much money to send this to Rue, and it wasn't even to Rue. And why don't you give it to one of our, you know, to Thresh, our other tribute in there. But Cedar or Chaff are both choosing to take the opportunity to subvert the Hunger Games system publicly. So here I'm going to mention a little bit of a spoiler for the next book, Catching Fire. So if you haven't read it, just skip 30 seconds ahead. And then that making me think that if they did that, considering that there must be explicit rules prohibiting sending gifts to other tributes, you'd think that that would have to be in the mentor handbook. If, if that was a rule and they broke that rule, then that leading to them being reaped the following year. Mm. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this too, but from a different direction. Rather than thinking mm. about the mentors possibly sending the gift to Katniss, I thought of it as who was among the decision makers for District 11. Was there mm. a small group of people who were able to communicate in some way to Hamish that they still wanted this to go through, but they were sending it to Katniss instead? And how democratic could that process be in such a short amount of time? Because I very much imagined it as, yeah, maybe some district elders choosing to kind of make a decision for the district as a whole who had raised these funds to utilize these funds in such a powerful way. Either way, whether, you know, whichever interpretation would be quote unquote correct. <laughs> uh, the thing that I really get from this, though, is a firmer understanding of how Katniss's choice to treat Rue the way she does in her death was itself an activating moment. It was a moment that led to people to make their own decisions that were unprecedented. Katniss did something that was never seen by a tribute before in honoring another tribute who died. And that action spurred on other people, people in District 11 or the District 11 mentors, but it spurred on people who had limited resources to themselves make a statement. And Katniss's, like you said, Katniss's understanding of what that statement was and communication of that must have been even more empowering to whoever made that choice to say, look, she understands, she's grateful, and she's helping to communicate that this is what's happening while on the screen. Yeah, it, it's a big moment yeah. in the books, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of a couple other ones too. One was just the moment of Rue screaming for Katniss mm. when she didn't even necessarily know that Katniss was in the area. Yeah. And it really shows how, again, even after one day together, for Rue, Katniss truly was what she saw as her only hope and the person who she was reaching out to. For her to call out that name, probably in and of itself, kind of subconsciously or in a moment of fear and pain, possibly, I think is, is really telling of how strong that relationship became so quickly. Yeah. But I was also thinking of Katniss's mom watching mm. as Katniss is suffering that depression. Yeah. Because, like you said earlier, the mom herself went through that. And that was clearly a point of contention between her and Katniss and their relationship. And so I can imagine Katniss's mom seeing this and, and as someone who is also a medical practitioner in a way, of seeing these as symptoms. I just was wondering how she might feel. Did she feel empathetic 
or horrified for Katniss that she is experiencing the same thing? Was there a sense of vindication that now Katniss is, ex- is seeing some element of what I went through? Or is there an aspect of her that's impressed that Katniss is then able to, in giving herself these small tasks to do, pull herself out of it? That she is does not completely succumb. Yeah, I, I just, I, I can, I mean, watching your child at all in The Hunger Games must be extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. But seeing her suffer in a way that you've suffered would uh, just be so painful. Yeah. And also maybe guilt. Maybe that's yeah. something that she would feel that, like, look at my kid, even though she's a kid and in this horrible situation is able to pull herself out while not acknowledging the fact that it's so different, you know, mm-hmm. that Katniss knew Rue for such a short amount of time versus Katniss's mom and dad knowing each other for, I don't know, at the very minimum 12 years, but very yeah. likely more than that. It's so different, but I could imagine in the moment watching it, if you feel guilt over your inability in the past to be able to take care of your kids, that you would just feel the guilt or shame and and have a harder time acknowledging the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move into our touch points. This is where we relate some things that we're reading to things that we see in our own society. So what did you want to talk about? So... Because I really enjoyed The Dark Fantastic, in particular the chapter on The Hunger Games, I thought it would be a great time to bring up some of the points that Ebony Elizabeth Thomas does in her book, and the author is a Black scholar herself. So the whole chapter, so much of it was about Rue being a Black girl, and that led me to be thinking about Rue not having any sponsors. Mm. That meaning that even if you thought that she couldn't win, a lot of these people have so much money, right, in the capital, and that no one felt empathy for that sweet, kind, clever little 12-year-old kid, you know, and no one wanted to help her get out alive, which I think is really in stark contrast to how townspeople in District 12 treat Prim. Mm. They're the same age. They have a similar stature. Obviously, Katniss likens them to each other. Yet, Prim is white passing with blonde hair and people want to see her live and are affected if they see her suffer. Thomas discusses in her chapter of the book that people who are not black and are reading or watching something with black characters commonly find those characters unrelatable or and or unlikable. You know, she even at, at one point brought up tweets that had been from the wider fandom of The Hunger Games after the casting of Rue had been announced. Mm-hmm. Obviously, just racist, horrible things being said. And, and one of them said that, quote, Call me racist, but when I found out Rue was black, her death wasn't as sad. Hashtag I hate myself. Yeah. Hashtag you should. Absolutely. Change, please. And so, yeah, I was was just thinking about that and how that enters the politics and the structure of the games of who is being sponsored and thus who is more likely to win, thus which districts are more likely to have the benefits that 
having a victor from your district reaps, you know? Mm-hmm. I was also thinking about, like, you know, if, if racism is one of the reasons that Katniss senses that people love Prim and tolerate her, since Katniss does not look like Prim, that leading me to questions about, like, did people in the capital like Katniss better because she volunteered for her little blonde sister? Mm. And what if Prim looked like Katniss and and would her act of volunteering then have elicited the same response from people in the capital? And another thing that Thomas was talking about is Rue's death in the book versus the movies. Mm. By making Katniss white in the movie by casting Jennifer Lawrence, who is blonde with blue eyes, and then dyeing her hair. <laughs> like, she looks like Prim does, right? Yeah. Then adding this revolt that happens in District 11, like, right after Katniss gives the burial to Rue in the movies, it's taking the focus off of Rue and putting it on, like, a white savior yeah. instead. Which is obviously just so common in everything. (laughs) Yet, I think Katniss, as a girl of color, especially if we're reading her as indigenous, you know, that that doesn't fall into that problematic trope. And in the books, Katniss is more aligned with Rue in general, you know, against the white careers that are are trying to hunt them down. Mm. So there's the solidarity, the connection, these things, I think it makes more sense so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. We, we know so little about the racial politics of Panem, which means that our own racial politics really become even more relevant mm-hmm. in our readings. So the casting choices that they make in the movies then does put a more definite vision of these characters on it that can, as you mentioned at times, seem counter to the actual message that the book was trying to make. hmm Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a few touch points that also were actually related to previous conversations that we've had that I think these chapters in particular really illuminate. So in past, in particular, in our Agency in the Hunger Games episode, I talked about Diana Ramey Berry's concept of soul values mm-hmm. and how enslaved Africans and African Americans in the United States even as they were being valued for their worth as commodities, maintained a personal value that was tied to much more ephemeral things uh, and tied to their individuality and their personhood. And I think that here we see a great example of how Katniss is, as a form of active resistance, claiming personhood, claiming value for Rue's life. And how, yeah, it just really illustrates the concept of the soul value so well, because you see in her inner monologue that she is specifically doing this to show the capital that all of this is awful. And actually, Rue does have value, and that value was taken through their decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also was thinking about what you mentioned last episode about using the tools of the oppressor against them, and how Katniss's knowledge of the Hunger Games becomes a tool against the capital because she knows how the hovercraft system works, how Mm. the games will cover a death, and she's able to use that knowledge that has been forced on her as part of the capital's agenda with the Hunger Games to make the districts watch these games 
to show them they cannot resist the capital. The capital has all the power. In so doing, they gave her the knowledge that she could then use as a tribute to weaken them, to help incite rebellion, and to increase that resistance. Mm. Yeah, because even if they cut different parts, they are going to have to film when the hovercraft gets her body, Mm -hmm. and that's going to show these flowers around her. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. The last one I was thinking of was based off our conversations about space in the past. And before I was mentioning about how space is... games in space! (laughs) That would be compelling. Um, (laughs) But... I meant in regards to the way spaces are designed and Mm -hmm. how the Hunger Games, we see spaces designed for violence. And when I was reading through the lyrics of the song Mm -hmm. that Katniss sings to Rue, it made me think of the meadow as a space, this idea of the meadow as space and why that could be comforting for Rue. Because for people like them who live in a world that is so controlled by the capital, the natural environment becomes the only place that is safe from that control. The only place where there is freedom and uh, independence and safety to do as you will. And Katniss obviously found that herself through escaping the confines of the capital. Rue, we don't know how much she was able to do that, but we know that just the nature of District 11 itself was important to her. And so I can understand why this song about being in the meadow and the meadow being the place that you are loved and that you are safe being a way of easing Rue's death for her. Yeah, just tied to, I think, more of those ideas of space and space that is taken by and claimed by those who don't have the power. Often the people who design the spaces are the ones who are designing it for their top-down goals for for violence for control for imprisonment whatever it might be but here i think the meadow is symbolic of no matter how oppressed a community might be those communities will still claim their own spaces as well and that those spaces then become invested in even more value themselves because they are a space for that community totally and you know even when it's not a physical space finding an imagined space mm-hmm. of, of safety and and possibility and future and things like that could be really powerful too. Yeah. Well, did you have any more touch points or should we move on? Yeah, I just have one last one, which is actually a place where I don't entirely agree with Ebony Elizabeth Thomas because she talks about in her chapter Rue being the catalyst the person that sparks revolution that sparks change that revolutionizes Katniss I guess Mm. and I don't entirely agree with that because I think that Rue is definitely a part of it and a, a significant part of it but also in that same paragraph where she's thinking about this it's it's Gail's fury at the injustice that also comes to mind it's Peta's understanding of agency mm-hmm. and and wanting to do something to show them that he's not a piece in their games and you know i think it's also katniss's own defiant personality that 
all of these things are coming together in this moment that help her do this defiant act that she wouldn't have done otherwise or she wouldn't have wanted to do or thought to do. And that's very much what we see in our own world, that any revolutions that happen, any subversions, any dismantling of oppressive structures that happens is so many different people coming together to make this happen, even though they're often, you know, they can be centered around a particular individual, you know, we think of Mahatma Gandhi, we think of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, you know, we have Cesar Chavez, you know, like we think about these people, but everyone else that had to be involved in this for them to even get to that point to do these things and make bold statements and movements and be revolutionary. And so, yeah, I was just, I was thinking about that. Absolutely. And it's not just the the amount, number of people who are involved, which is totally accurate, but also just the wider historical context that are happening. Totally. It's like thinking about the fall of the Berlin Wall as just being related to the relationship between the United States and the USSR, mm-hmm. or even Ronald Reagan's tear down this wall speech, uh, which people will still claim was the thing that caused the wall to come down. And it doesn't take into wider political concerns, national concerns, economic concerns, uh, concerns about immigration, uh, how these are different within the different European bloc countries. And Mm -hmm. it becomes a much, much more complicated event when you see it through a more nuanced prism. Mm -hmm. But that is absolutely how these things occur. And yeah, movements build on movements, right? Martin Luther King Jr. went to visit India Mm -hmm. and went to Gandhi's grave and talked to his son. And that was really meaningful and important to him because Gandhi was somebody who was a pacifist revolutionary before him, you Mm -hmm. know? And, And seeing how these different things build on each other, I think, is also really important to... If revolution is to happen... It's built on so many different people and so many different movements. And yeah, as you said, what's happening in time and space, you know, for it to come together. Yeah, totally. Well, why don't you go into our wonderments? What is on your mind as you read through this or as you think about what's coming next? So I was thinking about why did Marvel kill Rue first? Because he should have used his spear on Katniss and then killed Rue because Rue was caught in a net. She wasn't going anywhere. And he has a spear, and that's how spears work. You know, you Mm -hmm. can't have a super quick turnaround time. So, yeah, I was just, I I was wondering, did he, you know, not know that she was good with bow and arrow? You know, was this out of spite that he wanted her to see Rue die because either she blew up the food or because of the tracker tracker she dropped on them or because he saw her cause Glimmer a horrific death and Glimmer was from his district you know mm-hmm. um and so yeah I was just I was kind of thinking about that choice and how even though he dies right after that choice and even though that choice was either foolish or vengeful, which isn't good, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously. He was still like showing some amount of agency there. And it was his choice that 
led to his death yeah in that and yeah just kind of thinking about i think sometimes when i read books i focus on the action or what's happening or the deaths or whatnot and and continue reading on but yeah maybe maybe trying to think a little bit more about these different kids who were all forced into this situation or almost all forced into this situation and why they're choosing to do what they're doing as as we continue reading yeah what about you what are you wondering about i'm wondering about what it's like for the families to be interviewed back Mm -hmm. home when people get into the top eight katniss mentions that hasn't happened a lot for a long time for district 12 Mm -hmm. and Oh my Whether... god, didn't that just remind you of the Great British Baking Show when he gets into the semifinals mm. or the finals and they go to their family and their hometown <laughs> and interview them? I was totally thinking about that it's when funny. I read it. didn't remind me at the time, uh. but it does. Yeah, that's, that's good. Very different feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so, yes. But I was wondering how much of that is a positive and how much of that is a negative Mm. because it's wonderful of course to have your tributes your family members your friends to have more of a chance than they've had than anyone from your district has had in a long time Mm -hmm. to be in the top eight but that also means that then you have to perform for the capital audience yeah that you have these extra expectations there and that you have to do things that maybe might even affect the outcome for your tribute because if you can help build a claim for them maybe they'll be more likely to get sponsors that can turn mm-hmm. the the games around and so yeah thinking about you know what that's like for anyone in particular for katniss's family but any family having to to go through even more than what they're already going through Mm -hmm. in a way that is also for entertainment. Yeah, yeah. And as somebody will get pulled who's the kid of a victor and it happens a little too often than would seem statistically likely. Mm -hmm. And yeah, going to interview a previous victor about their kid being in the games, you know? Yeah. Having to mentor your kid to being in the games. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Everything's horrible. (laughs) What's your intention leaving these chapters? So my intention had to do with another moment that we haven't talked about yet. uh, And it was a really small moment. But I found myself when Katniss is searching for Rue and she describes how she catches a fish and eats it raw. Mm -hmm. I found myself kind of taken aback and being like, oh, that's gross. (laughs) And then you're like, wait, sushi. Exactly. (laughs) And and it made me, you know, kind of reflect on myself and and the privilege that comes with the way that I see food, Mm -hmm. um, which is that it is expected to go through some sort of process before it's given to me. Um, This even comes from how often Americans and other very privileged communities will not want to eat fruit straight off a tree because they feel like it's not going to be as good for them or as healthy or as clean as produce sold in the grocery store. (laughs) And I I could even see that subconsciously in myself sometimes. But it is showing how for people like me, I'm an example of this trend, the more you are disassociated from where your food comes from, the worse your relationship with the environment 
And totally. the worse your ability to make choices as a consumer um, or as someone who maybe gardens or who's involved in urban agriculture and these other types of ideas, um, you're not going to be able to make those choices as ethically or as well for the lived environment as uh, as you might if you have that closer look. And so I'm someone who has never found joy in gardening or being... <laughs> you know, involved in those kinds of things. We accidentally killed plants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but my intention, I guess, is to continue to challenge myself in that way. I'm not committing to making a garden, <laughs> but uh, to at least challenge my perceptions of food and think more holistically about where that food comes from. Mm. I mean, it's like, I don't like pesticides and herbicides and stuff, but then... Ew, I don't want bugs near my food. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll get the organic fruit from the grocery store that somebody else has picked mm -hmm. and have to be near the bugs yeah, yeah. myself. <laughs> this has a little hole on it. I don't know if I want to eat this. Yeah. Yeah. I have bookmarked a few things and I'm like, oh, maybe I could grow this in a garden. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> What's your intention from this chapter? So my intention comes, I guess, a little less from this chapter and a little more from the Dark Fantastic book. Wanting to be intentional about reading some fantasy or sci-fi book that has a black kid as the lead character and that is also, you know, written by an author who is black. You know, it's one thing to be aware of some of the things that the problematic things that are going on or, or views and, and how society can affect your views of characters. And, you know, it's another thing to actually put in time and effort into um, getting immersed in stories where the lived experience of a main character is quite different than your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, just trying to be intentional about that. Yeah. I'd recommend N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth Trilogy. Yes, I know you have those. I do soon. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this discussion. So what's happening next time on The Hunger Games? So we're going to be reading chapters 19, 20, and 21, where Katniss sees more skin than she ever wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description, or you can join us at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines if you want to become a supporter of the podcast and get access to all the extra perks that come with it. I've really been enjoying reading and communicating with the fans who are doing the read-along discussions with us, and so if you want to be a part of that for the rest of this book and the books coming up, I'd highly suggest you join us over at Patreon. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com or search for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.